We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Field of 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vincent intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah Vince! Looking to go back door to Bell, they get it to a mere corner, three, knocks it down! Chris Bell, the sharpshooter! Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 3-1-5. Up top, Williams searches ahead, up with the right hand and in! A pretty up-and-under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in. Let's get it started with your hosts, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gadamowitz. Well, it is quite the time to be a Central New York sports fan. Syracuse football continues to recruit everyone and their mother. The Buffalo Bills, much to the chagrin of yours truly, absolutely shellacked the Dallas Cowboys Sunday afternoon. And oh yeah, Syracuse basketball with a pretty impressive win over Oregon out in Hey, Sioux don't forget Falls. about don't forget about D three SUNY Cortland, Johnny. That's true. Champions. That's true. That's a great call on your end to throw that in there. Congratulations to the Dragons. A very well deserved D3 Natty. With that, we welcome you on in. It's another edition of Red is the New Orange. He's Ian Unsworth. I'm Johnny Gadamowitz. You can check us out on Twitter at F68 underscore Cuse. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. As always, we're a part of the Field of 68 podcast network. Make sure you go give them a follow over at, at the Field of 68, where they're bringing you all sorts of college hoops content after what was just a crazy weekend across the collegiate basketball world. An absolutely loaded Saturday slate. And obviously Sunday, a big SU men's hoops win over the Ducks. Ian, with that, how you doing today? I'm all right. Uh, I've been chugging the Gatorades and drinking the teas. So the voice is back. Energy's back. Good. I slept I slept very late today. So I woke up and got, got the TV turned on and the notepad out right before tip-off. And, and we were ready to go. Well, you sound much better. Glad to hear you're on the up and up. Let's not bury the lead here as we kind of hop right in. I think this was the best win of the season for Syracuse. I know we talked after Georgetown about how that game had a lot of things that the Orange did right. I think this is their best win to date so far, not just because of the quality of the opponent that they went up against. And I don't really want to hear about these Oregon injuries, right? It's not Syracuse's fault. You play the hand you're dealt. And Oregon is still a quality basketball team. And for the Orange to dismantle them the way that they did, 
really felt like a complete sort of team game with the way it unfolded 44 bench points. It feels like Red Autry has a lot of good problems on his hand moving forward. And Ian, as much as that first half was ugly, a lot of turnovers, a little bit of sloppy play, still still really a statement win from the Qs. This was not the best the team has played. Let's differentiate the two things. In my opinion, the Georgetown game was the best the team has played. The Oregon win is, is the best, best win, win over the most competitive team. I'm with you. Yes. Oregon's 100% healthy, and when you go back at the end of the season, no one's going to say Syracuse beat Oregon with without its big guys. People are just going to say Syracuse beat Oregon. Could Oregon beat Georgetown? Probably. Again, we're not playing apples to oranges here. Syracuse found pieces and found combinations that fit today. The starting lineup obviously wasn't doing it, especially in the first couple minutes when Shellstad got going. And throughout the entire game, ball security was really an issue. 38 combined turnovers. Uh, luckily, there weren't as many fouls as some other Syracuse games have had this year. But the turnovers early really hurt. And Jackson Shellstad, who we talked about at good measure and for good reason with Shane, um, he, he went off. He had a really good first couple minutes. Oregon gets up 10. And then something switches. Judah Mintz starts guarding him well. Syracuse keeps forcing turnovers, gets out in transition. I mean, that Chris Bell to Judah Mintz lob for their first field goal of the game kind of gave you an inkling that Syracuse could really start to run. And then once Kyle Cuff hit a couple threes, Malik Brown got in the game and Syracuse could really up its pace, things started to shift in the Orange's favor. It's tough to lose games when you shoot 57% from the floor. The offense was really efficient. You look at a lot of guys' individual shot selection. Malik, 6 for 8. Quadir Copeland, 5 for 8. Even Benny Williams, a 4 for 4 afternoon from the field. I think that's something we haven't maybe talked about a ton on this podcast, but just the trust in in the shot selection. Taking shots that you know you can make, that are within your comfort zone. And I think you look up and down this Syracuse roster, and and there haven't been a lot of games where I walk away from it saying, oh boy, yeah, really poor shot selection, right? Guys were really forcing it. That's not the case with this team whatsoever. And I think that trend really continued and almost maybe even peaked. Well, you hope doesn't peaked, but, but hit its high point of the season thus far against Oregon this past weekend. I mean, To find a way to score 83 points on a day where you turn the ball over 19 times, that's impressive. Judah with six of those 19 turnovers himself. I'm almost willing to take that with a grain of salt, though, Ian, and I'd be curious to see how you feel about this, just with how much he dribbles the basketball. With the amount of times the ball is in his hand, I feel like you're bound to get those turnovers, and when he offsets it with five assists— I don't necessarily have the biggest problem in the world with that. This was more of a one-off than a constant. Even in the games against Tennessee and Gonzaga, Mintz wasn't giving the ball away constantly. It just so happened that today a lot of passes went awry, and Judah also had a couple moments where he was tiptoeing around the baseline trying to save. Like There were a couple long passes he had to save, and I think you know there were a couple times, I think one of those might have been a, an offensive foul too. I I can't remember exactly, but 
it was not the kind of thing where all of Syracuse's turnovers led to Oregon runouts. Oregon had 18 points off of Syracuse's 19 turnovers. That's one thing we were concerned about when talking to Shane. Could Oregon turn this into a you know, track meet style game and then shoot the orange out of the gym? Well, it didn't turn into a track meet necessarily because both teams, especially Oregon, if we're being completely honest, just gave the ball away. Oregon traveled. They passed it to the guys' backs. They dribbled off their own. Like, Oregon did everything it possibly could to, to just give the ball away. In all facets of the game, Oregon had mistake after mistake after mistake when it came to ball handling, even with all those guards. The other thing we were worried about was Oregon's three-point shooting. This was their worst game of the year by far from behind the arc at 4 for 27. On the Syracuse side, like we talked about over the last couple games too, not forcing the three, only 5 of 13. The player that shot the most was J.J. Starling, along with Kyle Cuff. Cuff's threes came when SU really needed them in the first half, and Starling's threes came after he got comfortable. His first possession when he scored he attacked the glass got a layup and then he got in rhythm just like against Georgetown his first basket's easy and then he develops a little confidence gets in the flow of the game and all that starts flushing forward and so it, it all it all came together for Syracuse in the second half 30 you only had 33 of those 83 points in the first half I feel like it's sort of just for for me at least it feels like with this team, and I think this is one of the bigger differences between this year and last year, it, it sort of feels like everyone has a defined, very firm kind of role. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, last year, obviously, you had Joe, you had Jesse, you had Judah, right? Three guys who were going to put the ball in the hoop. Obviously, that's that's a nice luxury to have, three guys that can put up offensive numbers as productive as those three did but I feel like this year with with Judah sort of being that clear alpha go-to so to speak at least from a scoring standpoint that sort of makes it easier for a lot of these guys to know what their roles are right like last year you had guys like JT you had guys like Chris Bell who kind of got clouded in the mix and I think sort of just lost in the shuffle of okay, where do I fit in? What's my role? And so far this year, right, JJ's the playmaker. Bell is the shooter. McLeod's the rebounder. Taylor's the guy. That, no, well, he's not. Let's be honest. In, in theory. McLeod does not deserve to be on the floor all that much. He's the size. I'll amend my statement to he's the size. Taylor's the guy that does a little bit of everything, right? Quadir facilitates. Cuff gives you ample defense off the bench and can knock down some shots. It just feels like this squad, they know what their job is. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's a little bit of an odd observation on my end, but I feel like that's really something that when you get into conference play and everyone sort of knows their role, it's just going to make them feel that much more comfortable moving forward. Think about this too. Last year, the team was losing and lost a lot and was trailing a lot. When you see a deficit on the board, you feel like you have to do more. So Quadir Copeland would get in the game for maybe five, you know, five minutes spurt. And every time he has the ball, he's trying to go to the basket and make a hero play. And he'd run into two, three guys, or he'd try to shoot a three, which this year we've found out is not his game. And he hasn't, he, he's just not going for it. 
Every single time Quadir gets the ball, he's attacking the basket. Same thing. Benny's not trying to take threes anymore. He's becoming a bit of a scrap heap guy where he'll get a putback, you know, he'll get a transition dunk, but that's pretty much it. There's not there's not a you know gamble for offense when you don't need to because you know where the offense is coming from. That's what gives these other guys comfort to stick with what they know a bit more because it works. The other thing, the, the free throws. Last year, you weren't getting as many free throws and you weren't as good of a free throw shooting team, mainly because number three, Judah Mintz, didn't have the ball with license to drive on almost every possession. When you know that even if you've run 20, 25 seconds off the shot clock and, all right, what are we going to do with six seconds left? Give it to Judah. He'll go draw a foul. That that can give you a lot of comfort because you don't have to try to make the play. You know someone else can go figure it out for you. And Judah did more of that against Oregon, got to the line 11 times, which almost kind of feels a little low for him relative yeah. to some of the numbers we've seen him he put up. He had a slow at start, if we're being completely honest, like yeah. on both ends. And then after Shellstad went off, he got shut down because Mitz picked it up on the defensive end and then started scoring. All told, Judah, 8 of 11 from the stripe, and Syracuse as a whole, 72% from the line on 18 of 25. That's a place where they like to make their money, and they did it against the Ducks this weekend. Ian, as far as Benny Williams is concerned, I I, want to amend a statement I said earlier on another edition of the podcast in terms of, okay, with Benny, you got to view him as a net zero until he proves otherwise. And I think this weekend you saw the first flash of what he can do and sort of filling his role, right? We were talking about it earlier. What's everybody's role on this team? If Benny can come off the bench and give you 18 solid minutes, doesn't need to light it up, but throw in eight points on, again, four of four on good shot selection, that's a role I'm A-OK with. Now, will we see it consistently? That's the question. That's been the question surrounding Benny Williams, it feels like, for the entirety of his Syracuse career. Right. But I think if all sort of goes according to plan, that's sort of the niche role that he he has carved out for himself on this team. Now it's just a matter of can he continue it? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. It's much easier for him to focus on rebounding and playing a little defense if he's not tasked with being a third scorer or having to start and play 25 minutes and avoid foul trouble, there's just less pressure on him off the bench. That's kind of something he needs. I think with all we know that he's been through throughout the, you know, the three years, he he probably just needs a bit less of a load on his shoulders. So let him come off the bench and, As we know, there are some games when he's just not locked in. He's not engaged. And again, you bring him in off the bench, less risk and less reward, I guess, proportionally. But Syracuse's best five today was with Benny on the floor. The best five, funnily enough, was Judah, Quadir, Malik, Benny, and Kyle Cuff in the first half. That's what brought Syracuse back in the game when they were down 10. Which again, before before you finish that point, yeah. How yeah. many real shooters do you have on the court there? Well, Kyle Cup was the shooter. He made right. two. Right. But other than that, you don't have one. And then in the second half, Cuff sat the bench, and JJ Starling got going, and Syracuse ran out ran that lead out to twenty. But Syracuse's best five right now has only three of its five starters on the floor. Let's 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 sit on this for a second, Johnny. Justin Taylor, Chris Bell, and Naheem McLeod, to all their credit, have not been as effective as they were in the beginning of the season. They had a combined seven points against Oregon, just for reference. And again, not not saying the scoring is everything, particularly with with some of those guys like McLeod and Taylor, but still the yeah. point holds true. And Taylor's still Syracuse's leading rebounder. Right. Which they mentioned that on the TV broadcast, and I was very surprised by that. But, you know, someone, someone's got to do it. And I'd imagine, he, he, I'd imagine we have to sure check. The, hell is it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd imagine we'd have to double check the numbers on this, Ian. But JJ Starling's probably second, not too far off right there with him. I wouldn't be surprised. But back to the, the best lineup point. Yeah. The game, both the Georgetown and Oregon games in the second half have turned into a bit track meaty but also have become who attacks the basket better Syracuse has completely gone away from three-point shooting unless the opportunity is wide open and instead it's a little one-on-one a little isolation but let's find the matchup we like and pick on it sometimes that's mince but a lot of times that's been Copeland And that's why he's been so successful over these past two games. 32 minutes against the Ducks, 15, nine boards, and five assists. There were a couple times, like late, late in the game, they left him in so he could get that 10th rebound. Yeah, I think he he tried three times. He fouled once. Another one popped off his hands. You could tell he was thinking about the double-double. But he is the matchup problem for Syracuse. He's long. He's bigger than your guard, but he's quicker than most teams opposing forwards. So he can get by someone. He can pick the ball up and lift it over someone. 
at the end of the game, he had a beautiful spin move through two Oregon defenders. He's very deft. And that over-the-head pass to Malik Brown in the second half, he passed it box-to-box and without looking at Malik Brown. Copeland's got some confidence now, and that brings even more swagger and even more showmanship to his game. Again, 6'6", right? So chances are, more often than not, going up against guys who are 6'3", 6'4", obviously the length is there. And a big reason why he's been able to find success early on in this season. Yeah, Copeland 15 off the bench. And Oregon's playing four guards, too. We should mention this entire game. Correct. Four smalls and maybe one guy that's 6'7". So all told, Syracuse 83-63. to 20-point winners over the Ducks of the Pac-12. A big feather in the cap for the Cuse as far as the non-conference is concerned. Before we continue along here on Red is the New Orange, let's get a quick word from our friends and our sponsor over at BetMGM. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68 each and every week during the season if you haven't signed up with betmgm yet use the bonus code field 1500 and you will get up to a 1500 first bet offer on your first wager on betmgm sportsbook here's what you got to do download the betmgm app sign up using the bonus code field 1500 deposit at least ten dollars and place your first wager on any game you will receive up to fifteen hundred dollars in bonus bets if that bet loses just make sure you use the bonus code field 1500 when you sign up and remember BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states as a new jersey resident this is super convenient for me when i have to go cover games in new york or philly when cross the state borders just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to and most importantly i gotta let you know we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. Moving right along here as we continue to break down the Oranges' 20-point victory over Oregon from this past weekend with Ian Unsworth. I'm Johnny Gadamowitz. And Ian, we were discussing some of the rotations as far as the five on the court that we like, as far as what Syracuse brings to the table. And you made the case, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of right there with you, that the best five on the court for the Cuse, at least against the Ducks, was Copeland, Brown, Benny, three guys off the bench, and then, of course, Judah and JJ, your two guards. What I wonder is where that leaves the Justin Taylors and the Chris Bells of the world. Because let's not forget some of the Orange's best wins this year. And again, we began the podcast by saying this was the best win of the year. So maybe everything else goes out the window. But Syracuse has had some really productive games where Chris Bell and Justin Taylor were kind of the focal point. Maybe not the focal point. Obviously, Judah will occupy that spot more often than not. But played really big roles. My worry is that... I don't think this team can hit its maximum ceiling, its maximum potential, if you don't have both, not just one, both of Justin Taylor and Chris Bell playing those integral roles. We didn't really see it against Oregon, and Syracuse was able to get by without it. But let's be real here. As much as you might like your depth, 
you're not getting 44 bench points in all likelihood on a consistent basis, right? So for you, Ian, where is that line as far as finding where everybody kind of fits? Well, Quadir Copeland right now has proven that he needs to be on the floor when it's winning time. Not just because he's getting to the basket, but he'll rebound. And Chris Bell has not has shown an aversion to rebound. Justin Taylor, not so much. You have to just pick based on who's hot between Taylor and Bell. Chris Bell can go nuclear, but if he doesn't go nuclear, he's not really worth it. And Taylor's more consistent, yes, but he doesn't have that quick trigger itch that Bell has. So if Bell's on, keep him on the floor, either with Copeland or with Benny. And probably most of the time, it's going to be with Copeland. And Syracuse will play four guards, and you can keep up that running pace. We know Quadir loves to run in transition. One of the Bell or Taylors can get down there and spot up. And I think that helps with the tempo. You just might be a little small. But not many ACC teams, besides maybe North Carolina, will really pound the ball inside. And think BC, too, because Quinton Post is back. But you won't run into many ACC teams that are going to beat you with a center playing post-up basketball for 40 minutes. So it's okay to have four guards out there. But you need Quadir out there, and you need Malik Brown on the floor. Because Malik Brown is the most effective five Syracuse has, bar none, period. I don't think there's much of a discussion to be had there. So you have to pick one of Taylor and Bell and just hope they're on. Because Starling has shown he'll hit one or two if he's feeling good. So can Judah Mintz. He hit five in a game. Heck, if those guys can provide any sort of shooting for Syracuse down the stretch of a game, then you can have Quittier on the floor along with just one of Bell or Taylor, or heck, maybe you don't even need them and you need Benny for defense and athleticism and rebounding. Yeah, I I like your point about the hot hand. I also think, too, I mean, I'd be okay with kind of entirely letting it be matchup-based, right, based on the personnel of who you're going up against Uh, on a game like Oregon where they're rolling out those four guards and you feel like Quadir has that size advantage. um, By all means, go to town. If Quadir Copeland's going to play 32 minutes, be my guest if if the opponent has a type of stylistic play that calls for it. Now, who knows? Maybe you're going up against a team that's susceptible to the three ball, and that's more reason to get Chris Bell more than 12 minutes, which is what he played against the Ducks, right? So I, I think it's sort of a combination of the two, but I do agree with your point as far as Copeland need, needing to be on the court when when it matters most, when you need buckets, when you need stops, because he certainly has proven that he can do it on both ends. But you just need a little bit of energy too. Yeah. You need someone to go out there with a smile and, you know, joke around and have fun. That's, smile can that's, go a long way. That's Quidir's personality too. He's relaxed. He's never too serious. And sometimes a team needs that, especially when Judah's going to be go, go, go all the time. And, you know, a lot of the other guys on the court, if we're being completely honest, walk around with stone faces. You need someone that's going to, you know, poke you and, and loosen you up sometimes in basketball. The other thing we should commend Adrian Autry on is pulling the plug. Some guys some guys just don't have good games. Sometimes it's not your night. And Coach Autry is more than willing to sit Chris Bell for the entirety of the second half. Naheem McLeod goes out there and, again, just does not play confident. 
They give him the ball in the first possession of the game. Which they've been trying to do. They've been trying to get him going early. We spoke well, about he it last posts, He posts up like 15 feet away from the basket. Right. You're seven foot four. Go in the paint. Go in the paint. But he posts up 15 feet away. He tries to jab step and, and gets his pocket picked. And then like two possessions later, he misses two putbacks. He has a rebound ripped out of his hand. Like just good riddance, man. You you got to play a little stronger than that. Yeah, you have I to. Think... Like, have you seen Zach Eady play and the way he holds the ball like a vice grip? Yeah, you just got to have a little bit more heart and grit. I think the patience is growing thin on McLeod for a lot of Syracuse fans. I'd be curious to see on the bell pointy and like, you know, later this week Syracuse Niagara next game for the Orange. Not not a ton to know about the Purple Eagles outside of the fact that they've been struggling. Greg Paulus. Leading the charge, a name that should sound familiar for a lot of Syracuse another, fans. Another one of those transfer quarterbacks, huh? Oh, yeah. But as far as Bell goes, like, if this happens again against a subpar Niagara team that you can throw in the same conversation as a Canisius and a New Hampshire from earlier in the year, at that point, Ian, it will have been three straight, right? Because didn't really have it against Georgetown, didn't really have it against Oregon. And then if you're not having it against Niagara, too, then I think at that point, it's not quite panic button time but we can have a little bit more of a conversation as to, okay, what's kind of going on here. He's streaky. There yeah. are shoot, there are some shooters that are always streaky and will never not be streaky. And Chris Bell doesn't have the consistency and doesn't really have the game to shoot himself out of a slump. Like if, if you're a shooter that really gets involved, otherwise you can get yourself out of a hole. You, but Bell, Bell is not the type of player that'll... But where I where I push back on that a little bit is we've seen flashes of it this year. Like, I, I like don't the think... Flat, the flash is a one-dribble pull-up, man. It's not... It's no, not he's shown crazy. a little more assertiveness in trying to get to the cup, I think. Not, not like, over the top, but he's made a conscious effort, I think, to sort of add that element to his game a little bit, no? Yeah, a little bit. But back to our earlier point, when your role, which is pretty clearly defined on this team, is shooter in the corner. Yeah, you don't have to force yourself to be something that you're not. And there aren't going to be many opportunities to get outside that box, right. which is the tougher part when you're slumping. Well, we mentioned it earlier. It is Syracuse and Niagara coming up this week. And the next time we speak at the end of the week, we'll be breaking down whatever happens in that Niagara game. It's coming up on Thursday. But Ian, now for Syracuse, here we go. I mean, final non-con sort of tune-up before they get ACC opponents the rest of the way here as far as the regular season is concerned. And always sort of that weird time of year around the holidays, a little bit of a break, trying to grab as many wins as you can. But I think from a Syracuse standpoint, if you can go out there and, and kind of assert your dominance against Niagara, and at that point, it will have been, what, four straight since that sh- sort of shaky Virginia performance. Momentum's a scary thing, right? And then you go into what is kind of, I won't use the word gauntlet, but you look at the start of ACC play, you get hit twice in a span of five games and a beatable Boston College crew. But you also got trips to Cameron Indoor and Chapel Hill. So I'm not overlooking this Niagara game in that, okay, grab that win, go into conference play feeling good, and sort of stack up on these wins now while you can. Because once 2024 hits, they are not going to come nearly as easily as they are now in the non-conference. 
I think the tough thing about these two games, Niagara and, and Pitt and Pitt, are there are no students. There there have been a lot of upsets this week in college basketball. I mean, Chicago State, who was like a joke for the past couple of years, beat Northwestern. Um, I mean, Arkansas State beat Louisville, but I mean that's just run of the mill. Um, you know, that's right now Louisville winning is is more surprising, but. Teams lose these kind of games because there are no fans. The building is dead. It's a weird vibe, yeah. There's no energy, especially in a building like the Dome where most of the fans are you know, separated from the court by that big walking path. It's, it's easy to come out flat, and it's easy to have a bad start and then not have the juice to get back because there's no one to boost you up. Am I concerned about that with Niagara, whose best player is a five foot nine freshman guard? Uh, probably not. In all honesty, Syracuse should beat Niagara by 20-plus. They're projected to win by 19, I believe, via Ken Palm. It shouldn't be close. However, against Pitt, a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year. Has and beat the, you in the yeah, Dome last year in a very similar vibe kind of game. Late December, not butt, a lot of people yeah, well, there. your butt, too, in the P. Um, Blake Hinson's back. The Diaz-Graham twins who are still some of the freakishly built, like most freakishly built humans I've ever seen. But they're they're back, and they're they're better than they were last year. Um, Guillermo, I believe, is shooting the three. So that's something you got to deal with. I mean, talk about matchup problems. Like, those dudes are going to be matchup problems. And, and they, they bulk, re- and correct me if I'm wrong, Arian, but it seems like they bulked up a little bit, too, this past offseason. Yeah, they bulked up, they're rebounding better, and they, they really protect the rim well. That's something Syracuse will have to deal with, rim protection against Pittsburgh, uh, because both those guys can really block shots, too. Very active, former volleyball players coming from the Canary Islands. So, yeah, they, they've got a good feel for rejecting shots. whole lot of fun games coming up on the schedule. We're so excited to continue to break down everything you need to know. SU Men's Hoops here in this 2023-2024 regular season. That just about does it for this edition of Red is the New Orange. Again, Syracuse taking down Oregon in Sioux Falls, a 20-point win for the Cuse. We're calling it their best win of the year to date. Make sure you check us out wherever you get your podcast. Again, we're over on Twitter at F68 underscore Cuse. He's at IUNZY, that's I-U-N-Z-Y underscore. You can find Ian there. I'm over at Johnny G. Witz, J-O-H-N-N-Y-G-W-I-T-Z. So Syracuse and Niagara is coming up Thursday, 5 p.m. A little bit of an odd start, but a 5 p.m. tip, Central New York. And I believe that's because the football team has the bowl game that night as well. So a busy day for if you're a Syracuse fan on the hill, on campus, or really anywhere, just following along. But with Ian, I'm Johnny saying so long. Enjoy the Niagara game this Thursday, and we will catch up towards the end of this week.